This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. I love Love, love bringing in local guys to me. This is a, a Michigan GoPro guy that I'm inspired and motivated by. If nothing else, he's got an amazing tan, which is far, far better than what I have going on right now. He's the CEO of Brickworks Property Restoration, Solar Reaction. He's an investor. He's a GoBundance Champion member, and he's so full of wisdom. He has an incredible story, very vulnerable, wide open. And, and again, I, I get inspired every time I get around him. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah Campbell, it's a pleasure to have you, my friend. Man, it's, it's always a uh, privilege and an amazing opportunity to share my story. And and, uh, and if it brings value to one person or, or a five, it doesn't matter, man. It's so worth it. And I love you dearly for what you do um, with the Emerge group, with, with meeting guys where they're at. Um, and you were my first entry point into uh, actually in the GoBundance organization. Is that right? Yeah. So you're the one that actually got a hold of me and talked to me and, and met me out at uh, Parks with the Park City. Nope. Um Steamboat Park City before that, uh, Tahoe, yeah. Tahoe, Lake Tahoe. Yeah, we digress quick. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't remember that. I should say, but uh, then again, I talked to a lot of people. You meet me. Out, you met me out in the hallway and took my money. That's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> let's go now. Let's do this. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I did. Good stuff. I was, I'm a big guest. I'm a big fan of, oh, you went as a guest. All right. So then you, yeah, you got recruited right at the event. I'm a big fan. And I think GoBundance is life-changing. It has been for me. So I'm I'm always going to evangelize and, and push it no matter what happens. So, well, let's dive into a little bit of you, a little bit of your story. I told I told uh, about a couple of companies that you're the CEO of, and you know, we've got, you've got a, a lot that we can unpack, but just kind of give us from the beginning, you know, where, where were you born, brought up and give us some of the, some of the story of Jeremiah. Oh, fantastic. So um, born and raised in Southeast Michigan. Um, so literally, I was born in the city of Detroit. Um, I've, I've, I've lived here my entire life. Um, I, I don't plan on living or moving anywhere from here. Um, this is always home. Every time I we travel you know, 15, 20 times a year, every time I come home, this is where my heart is. This is where my people are. This is where my family is. This is where my roots are. Um, uh, I'm 36 years old. I've been with my wife now for 16 years. Um, we we got together. I was 20 right after my second rehab center. I grew up with my wife. Um, so yeah, we'll get into that as well. Um, my, my wife and I, we grew up together. Uh, I've known her since I think I was in seventh grade and she was in fifth grade. She wow. was the next door neighbors and one of my best friends. And uh, and so we have two kids. Uh, we have uh, an eight-year-old named Ryder, a four-year-old named Ashton. Uh, two boys. They are, ah, it's amazing. One of the most, one of the best and rewarding privileges of life is to father these two boys. Yeah. And I can, I can say that authentically today and not say it because I think that's what you want to hear. Uh, I, I can, I can really let it resonate with the depth of my soul to know that's exactly uh, one of the, one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of the reasons why I'm on this planet. Well, let's go to that because you you touched on uh, rehab centers and then you said now, now you can absolutely say without it just being a nice tagline, why uh, or that you are one of the purposes of your life is to father these two boys. Why now? Like, what do you mean by that? What does that mean that now you can honestly say? Was there a time you couldn't? Oh, gosh, yeah. What was I mean, that? 
oh, dude, imposter syndrome, um, you know, these limited beliefs, these thoughts, these stories, these. So when I was 16 years old, my parents got a really nasty divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I grew up in a household. One of the things about growing up in, in relationships and being in, in your family dynamic is you don't know any different. Mm-hmm. You don't know that there it should or shouldn't be that way. So my parents never got along. My parents always argued. My dad used to always tell me one of the worst things about coming home is to see your bitch of a mother. Wow. Um, and this was, this was like, this was what I had growing up. Yeah. And I didn't know there was like, I didn't know. And so when I look back on my childhood, I truly think it was an amazing child and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So I always, when my parents got an ugly divorce, my dad blamed my mom for cheating on me. And it was really terrible. I stopped talking to my mom from almost like 15 to 18 years old. And I had this big resentment towards my mother. Well, as a boy, as a child growing up, we look up to our mothers and and we always want to gain their acceptance. We look at our fathers like they are our heroes, but we never villainize our fathers. And so this is the dynamic that we grow up in. And we, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any of this, to be honest with you. I was in business full time. I don't want to go all over the place, but my dad always told me, don't go to work for yourself, go work for the union and then do side jobs because it'll provide safety. Hmm. I will not trade places with my father. So I will never take advice in that category from my father. And I had to read books and be around people that I trusted in, in order to do that. So the person that I was, that got me to the place that I am now, is completely different than the person that I was roughly 18 months ago. So when I say now, I now have a different understanding. I had a nervous breakdown early June last year. And I was already, right? yeah, I was already a GoBundance member. I already knew you. Um, that's actually why I missed Steamboat. Mm. Was because I was I was in uh, quite intensive somatic therapy and, and, and I had no idea what was going on. So what took place was everything that I thought I was, was my ego, trying to serve myself and how other people, I've always had a great heart. I've always been a wonderful human. I've always had these amazing ways of being charismatic and building an an amazing life, right? Parents got a divorce, started partying with my dad. My dad ended up doing some things with some of these girls I went to high school with. Um, that he shouldn't have done. No kidding. Yes. And so there was a lot of shame that got built into that. There was a lot of, I started hiding from people and I'm, a, I'm, I'm 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't know that it wasn't my responsibility to, mind you, I wasn't talking to my mom. So my two primary caregivers, the people now, my parents are getting out of the divorce. I didn't know. So I started creating these, the, now looking back, it was full trauma response. A hundred percent. Real quick, just to be clear, you are 16 and your father is, is having relations with kids your age. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And like, and you're saying, you're saying essentially like you, you took on the burden of that as if somehow you were responsible for his actions. hundred percent. What, what do you think that was just because your mother wasn't in the picture? Cause I had nobody to count on. I had nobody to, to help me process these emotions yeah. That I didn't know were happening. All I knew was I felt unsafe. Yeah, yeah. All I knew was, oh my God, now these people that I went to school with, now these people are all of a sudden saying, look at this guy. 
And I started taking the ownership for what my dad did. Mm. And I started to take ownership of like, oh, wait a minute. My dad's house was the party house. It was where everybody hung out. It was where everybody, where everybody got together. And this was now looking back, this is 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, my body couldn't comprehend it. My body couldn't make peace with it. So it created meanings on events that took place that started to dictate the rest of my life. And what I mean by that is I all of a sudden started seeing women as objects of pleasure. Right, right, right. Women as people that can hurt me because I watched what it did to my father. My dad was very strict growing up. And all of a sudden, 16 years old, the cap comes off. We start snorting pills together. We start drinking. um, He was buying us kegs and we were drinking fits of vodka and it became the party house. Like overnight. Mm. And so I started not like, no, I mean, I was the guy. I had it going on in the external. Like all the girls wanted to come over. All the guys wanted to be my friends. Like, man, you got it going on, Campbell. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go over there. And then I'd lay in bed at night, hating my life and wishing that my parents were still together. Not having anybody to rely on. Where was mom? Where was mom at this point? You said you were not talking to her, but do you know where she was? Gosh, man, she lived two miles from me. She would come to my house. Was there any truth in the cheating thing or no, not that you know of? She said no. She said no. I have no reason to believe her or not believe her. I ended up getting a restraining order against her boyfriend because my dad, um, lots of court cases. Uh, My dad ended up getting a DUI at that time. Uh, 16 months later, I got a DUI. I I totaled a car that I was driving. I should have, I I shouldn't say should have died. That was my my introduction to the law. Uh, At that point, I was 17 years old. I mean, it, I went from completely structured living, like mom and dad both there. Like I couldn't go out and party to to hats off. Like it's go time. Like it's go time. There's no rules. Yeah, no, no, no. And I want to, there's so much, like I I wrote down the word ego. I want to dive into that. This breakdown that you had as recently as uh, 12, 13 months ago, as we, as we record this, but in the middle, there's a lot. So you go, I can picture this. I can picture you know, sort of uh, the leave it to beaver lifestyle, at least on the surface, right? Mom and dad are at home, whether they don't get along or not, who knows, but you're living this sort of life. And then boom, dad flips from disciplinary into party animal. Mom's out of the picture. You're getting drunk, get drunk driving. Uh, I'm assuming arrested or whatever as a result oh, God, of the accident yeah. that you were in. Yeah. So you're 17 years old. You have this bout with the law. Kind of take me, take me from there. Like, were you, were you the beginnings of out of control or were you in the full on, from 16 on onslaught of out of control from that moment. Like, where were you at this moment? You get arrested for, I'm assuming a DWI having wrecked your vehicle at 17. What was the, where was life from that point forward? From that point forward. So my first run in the law, um, I got, we, we, we met some girls uh, and, and after a concert, they went to the John Mayer concert and my best friend, he's passed away now. He had a, he had a uh, half ounce of weed in his sock and, mm-hmm there was a drug deal that they busted at this high school, like the night before, we didn't know this. So we pulled in there and they came in with squad cars and they surrounded our cars and drug dogs. I'm talking like the shit, like sheriffs from three counties because they thought we were more drug dealers going in. And so that was my first introduction. And then, so that was when I got on probation the first time I was 16. Mm. And then, and then after that, so I already started to build the background up of, of that lifestyle. From that point, Um, after my dad did a few sins that he wasn't supposed to do, um, I kind of went in the closet. Um, I, I was afraid to be seen. Um, I took all that shame on like, so the, the, the difference between guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. Mm. 
And so I not being able to process it. So early on in life, they told me I was ADHD. They gave me Adderall. They told me that um, uh, I had learning disorders. They put me on uh, hooked on phonics. They told me they always put labels on, on these things. And then, and then I, I immediately started falling into the trap. So I got this pretty steady girlfriend at the time. I was 17 years old. Um, they put me back on Adderall. And so I was on Adderall. If you've ever taken Adderall, it's, it's, it's prescription methamphetamines. And so I ended up graduating. Um, I ended up getting my shit together because um, nobody, I didn't want to be around anybody because they would always remind me of what happened with my dad or, or they would, they would, I thought that they would judge me. And so I already was judging myself enough. And then that's when I found prescription pills. And so I was already on Adderall and I started taking Vicodin and Oxycontin. And so this was back in 2006 when it swiped through Southeast Michigan. Yeah. Um, so my life got super out of control. Meanwhile, my mom had a good job at Chrysler, was still working full time. So she kept me on her insurance, even though I was estranged from her. Hmm. And so my dad had this narrative in my head that my mom was bad and she's the one that called all, caused all this pain. Well, I'm with my, my dad, my little brother. So I have an older brother and older sister. My sister was away at college. My older brother lived with my mom. He was a full-blown alcoholic after the divorce. My little brother and I lived with my dad. I didn't know. My, my dad and I were in all of our own pain. I was embodying my dad's pain. I'm a partial empath, energetic. Yeah. Following my dad's pain, forgetting that I even have a little brother that's living with us that was 14 at the time. Yeah. And so the why I brought that up is he ended up passing away in 2007 of an overdose. And that's what really started to, to, to really impel me into recovery and to see. So I got addicted to Oxycontin, got out of high school. So if you take Oxycontin, I was snorting them, and then I took Adderall on top of it. So that was pretty much what Chris Farley died from was cocaine and heroin. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was never actually able to fully detox from prescription drugs. That's how strong addiction to prescription drugs is. What do you mean never fully able to this day? To this day. So I, I don't do prescription drugs, but I advanced to heroin. And so after five rehab centers later, by the time I was 21 years old, I went to five rehab centers. Wow. So Oxycontin, I got a job right out of school painting the 4GT project. So I did the stripes on the 4GTs. Mm -hmm. um, the, and so I, I, was, I was working 70 hours a week in college full time, ready to prove to the world. All I wanted to do was gain the acceptance of my caregivers to tell me that I was okay, to tell me that I was enough to, to, to actually, they, they told me these things, Jamie, they really did. I never allowed myself to feel like I was good enough. Mm. And so that's what drove me to build the businesses that we have today. That's what drove me to, to, to live in the house that we live in. That's what drove me to continue to drive was that incessant need that, dude, the ball's going to drop. The other foot's going to drop and they're going to find out you're a fake. Yeah. That, that continuous rhetoric over and over and over again, hearing that in my head. Crazy. Okay. Couple things. Back to you said your dad did something. Are you able to share, willing to share what that was? It seems like it was a breaking point. It was. It was a breaking point in my, my physiology of my, my, my body itself. So he, this, this girl was 18 years old, uh, 17, almost 18, legal consent, whatever it was. And it was 20 years ago. So we're past that statute of limitation. He yeah. never got convicted of it. Mm -hmm. So he, I, I believe the story told was there was molestation in it. Jeez. Wow. Yes. 
How does that feel, man? Like as a kid, that's got it. Like you said, it drives you completely inwardly. So you're, you know, you're feeling like you're the the object of judgment from your friends because of your dad's responsibility of what he did, right? I mean, that's essentially what you're what you're alluding to when you said it. Right? Yeah, wow. And it wasn't until I hired a coach and spent over hundred thousand dollars last year in coaching um, to where somebody actually would make me feel safe enough to say this. And so this is actually the first podcast that I've ever gotten that, even on our own show. Yeah. My wife and I have our own uh, Destined to Be podcast. And so I never even shared that on our show, just so you know. Wow, man. That's insane. I can imagine why that's a hard thing to share. So then take us forward. So 17 to 21, you're in, in and out of five rehab centers between that time, it sounds like, uh, escalating through heroin addiction in that time frame or after. In no, so what, what happened was, is so when I got my DUI when I was 17, my mom came back into my life. Because that's when I realized there was a time when I was laying in my bed and I had that girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And I, I was laying there in my dad's bed, uh, not my dad's bed, at my dad's house. And I'm laying there and I'm like, man, I feel sick. Like, what's going on with me? And I'm real fidgety and shit. And I just, it hit me. You're addicted. Hmm. And I was 17 years old. And one would have thought like, hey, maybe you should like stop doing this. And I just said, no, how can I do more? And so they offered me a layoff because I started to come in absent to work. I was 17. So I had to wait. So this by the time I, I started to realize that I was doing probably two to $300 a day worth of Oxycontin. And I was always an overachiever. So I was painting cars on the side. I was doing all these different things. This time I'm out of high school. So I go to my first rehab center um, after I tried heroin for my first time. And I'm like, this has gone too far. Like... It's one thing snorting pills, okay? Because because the, the the way addiction works is as long as I'm around people that are a little bit worse than me, mm. then I'm not that bad. At least I'm not as bad as you. That's that's and the so, whole concept of tribe, right? Like you know, if you're around heavier people and you're heavy, ah, I'm not that fat because they're fatter, right? Like whereas around in shape people, now you feel the draw to get closer to that. So that completely makes sense. Yeah, and so I draw the line, I just cross it. I draw the line, I just cross it until I got yeah. to the point. I'm like, okay, now, now I tried heroin. I snorted it, and and I'm like, this, I gotta, I gotta go to rehab. So I go to rehab. My dad picks me up, and we smoke weed on the way home. Wow. Um, and so this, this was legal. Weed was illegal then. I was out at uh, Maple Grove facility in West Bloomfield, um, Henry Ford, and so he went out there, drove me home. Second time I go to rehab, I'm like, well, I can't smoke weed. I know that. So. One is too many, a thousand is never enough is what they talk about in 12 steps, right? And it was like, I'm like, well, I never had a problem with alcohol, but I was full-blown in in DTs when I was 16 years old at Saturday school, freezing, shivering, not knowing what was going on. And I'm like, well, I can just drink. So rehab too, I didn't smoke weed. I didn't do heroin. I just drank and I would drink till I blacked out. So it was the third rehab where I'm like, maybe there's something to this. They're like, it's not the drinks, it's the drugs, it's the, you know, it's the way you think. And I'm like, well, if I just go back to who I was before I drank too much, before I crossed the line. And now I didn't know what I know now. You know, once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it never becomes a cucumber again or a caterpillar to a butterfly. Like right. once you cross that line, there's no going back. And I'm like, I'm 18 years old. Like, what do you mean you're going to tell me I never drink again? Right. And so my third rehab center is when I got out of rehab. Um, I had gone back and started talking to my mom because I needed the codependent behaviors. I needed her for her to give me money. And so because I was so strung out on drugs, I was a liar, cheat, and thief. All I would do was lie, cheat, and steal and anything to get my first one. I wasn't a hardened criminal. I would only steal from people that loved me that I knew wouldn't put me in jail. Mm. And that's just, I would, I would, I would steal money out of my mom's purse. I would, whatever I could do to get one more. 
And, and so it was my third rehab center. I was 19 years old, um, almost 20. And it was February is when the, when the Super Bowl was here, um, when they first built Ford Field. And I was in rehab in February. And, and I said, maybe I'll give this a shot. And I got out and I called a guy that was my best friend that lived next door to my wife. It was her, it was his dad. God bless him. He just passed away a couple months ago. And I said, I don't, his name was Howie. I said, I don't know how to stay sober. And he goes, come to my house. And it was through the grace of God that he opened his door for me. And that's when I started to take and embrace sobriety. And he took me to meetings and he bought me food and he bought me cigarettes. And, and he really was the one that, that, that kickstarted my sobriety. Wow. Wow. Okay. When did you marry your wife? You've been with her since you were 20, but where was the marriage in all of this? How long have you been married? Uh, 11 years, September. So I was 25 when we got married. Did your wife go through the same struggle with you or was she just watching from the sideline? She was watching. She like, so, so like I used to go to her house because it was the weirdest thing. Like my parents, like I remember my mom hitting my dad with like a pan. Like a like a cooking pan, and like my my, my dad still has shoulders issues. I, I talked to him; he probably still has issues. I don't. I haven't talked to my dad in a while. And, yeah, and he took this. He took this this this. Uh, uh, they would we throw stuff at each other. The cops would come to my house on a weekly or monthly basis because me or one of my siblings would call the cops. We, we would like fight in like baseball bats and like. And so my wife's family was like, let's 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 make popcorn and watch TV in front of the fireplace. And so I thought it was the most peculiar thing. I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is weird. Wow. And so when I was 15, I told my wife's father that I was going to marry her when I was 15. And so 10 years later, I wasn't even dating her. I actually was dating her best friend and or not one one of her friends. And so it was, it wasn't until the right time. She was 18 when we started dating and, uh, yeah. Was this hitting hitting with pots of hitting at pots and pans? Was that pre-divorce or was that all after divorce? Oh, that was pre-divorce. That was when we were normal. That was when we were like happy. Okay. Like that was when we went to church on Sundays. And, yeah. and so I, now I know being a fully uh, embodied somatic coach and trauma-informed coach, and, and my wife and I work with couples in this, is the, is literally no joke. It's a check mark. So my mom was taught by her mom not how to not, not how to fully um process emotions and, and, and actually just, re, you know, re, uh, just push them down and, and, and kind of recycle them because yeah. as long as everybody on the outside thinks I'm good, then we're good and had nothing to do with the internal. So they would, they would like, she, I remember like getting my, my older brother had real bad bloody noses. So he'd have bloody noses on the way to, on the way to church. And like, we would go in there, like we were like normal. Not crazy. I'm just thinking, I was going to ask the question, like where, you know, so you, I was picturing this like idyllic lifestyle up to 16 and then the hinges come off, right? But it sounds like the hinges were always off, but it was like more off at 16, which that answers a lot for me. That that clears up a lot for me because I was going to ask you, you know, uh, are there any lessons from when you were in the idyllic lifestyle of things that maybe you see now as a father that you're trying to make sure don't happen? But it sounds fairly obvious, right? Don't hit each other. Don't scream at each other. <laughs> like be, be good, well-adjusted people, you know, communicate with one another. It, it, you know, like those are things that were missing in your childhood. Correct. Bro, childhood trauma. Yeah. Too much, too soon, too fast. When something happens in your life that you are not, you are lack of a witness. I forget who, who said this, but it was, it was when you're in lack of a witness, an empathetic witness to, to watch you as you're going through it. Oh my God. For my eight-year-old to my four-year-old, I can witness how he reacts, his attachment styles and the way he shows up. 
just taking the time to get down on my kid's level and say, what do you need from me? Mm. What do you need to be told? What are you feeling? My kids freak out. Now I know they're freaking out because they have an emotion in their body, an energy moving. Emotions are here to tell us something. They're here to give us clues. I was smacked in the mouth and told to shut up. My opinion didn't matter. And so now the whole polar opposite, and we got caught in this era between when I was born and, and, and then 15 years later, participation trophies. And we see the result of that now, right? Yeah. Um, but now it's like, no, like my kid rider, he's eight. I look at him and I'm like, hey, I know that's a big emotion. Can you tell me where it's at in your body or what needs to be said? Or, or do we need to go punch a pillow? Mm-hmm. And when they freak out, I allow them to freak out. Yeah. Like you, you, you go buddy. Like as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting somebody else, like that needs to move. And if you, if you try to stick that and how am I any different than that guy? There, there's a, there's a story that one of my mentors told me and he goes, when it, this was back when I turned 35 a year ago and this great mentor, I had Stefanos at the time and he's still a mentor of mine. And he goes, look, he's like, you turned 35 this year, but what you don't realize is you also are still 34 and 32 in 33 and you're still all of those ages before now just because you're 36 years now i'm 36 now just because i'm 36 years old doesn't mean that i'm not all of those ages and all of those meanings that i placed upon life are still with me hmm. stefanos is a beast he's uh in that preston smiles camp correct those are the guys down in austin stefanos yes amazing guy Great coach. Good for you, man. That's a great, great. That's a good person to spend some some coin on to get you. Uh, I'll be with him this weekend. Uh, he's amazing. Yes. I, mean, I don't know him, but I know of him. So, uh, all right, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna skip ahead and then come back. I want to go to thirty five a year ago, June twenty twenty one. Your breakdown related at all to childhood trauma, or was it something that was more recent, maybe in your entrepreneurial endeavors? What what created this breakdown? Take me through that. It's a beautiful question. I appreciate that. And so. I had built, so this is COVID times, right? And I had built this life. The mind forgets, but the body always remembers. Mm. And so every negative emotion you have, you have 25,000 thoughts for that negative emotion. And so when we have these negative emotions, when we have these things, nobody ever properly taught me to. So like in Jim Quick's stuff, right? He talks about, he's like speed reading course, for instance. When's the last time somebody taught you how to read? They teach you how to read when you're in first grade and then they never go back and like, here, let's fine tune that, right? Yeah. So focus, like when we're entrepreneurs and we need to focus is we never go out of business because too much, uh, too lack of opportunity. We go out of business because overindulgent in opportunity, right? Mm. Nobody ever taught me how to go back. Nobody, first off, nobody ever taught me how to, how to process emotions to begin with. And we're at a time in coaching and in epigenetics and in looking at neuroplasticity to where we can actually see how these things affect us in real time. August 8th, I go in for, um, so I'm into all of, I'm so tan because I take a peptide called melatonin. And it's a peptide that I inject once a week into my stomach. And that's why I'm tan. I take NAD plus every other week. I, I do anything. I so said, I'm in going into neurofeedback as well. So there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score that really started to simplify what trauma actually was and how it's held in my body. Hmm. I called this guy up and I said, I said, so, so remind you, I stay so busy. I don't have to be aware. And I watched this over and over. I love it. I get hired as a business coach. I never talk about business. And it's all about interpersonal relationship. It's really easy to scale a business. Like just stop 
looking at the fear, continue to push into it and, and, and educate yourself with people that are higher up where you are and duplicate what they do. Take a couple alterations, bam, you're successful in business. Like, yeah. we, we know it's a little harder than that, but like, no, in, but in, in essence, I like how that. Do you, how do you deal with the real estate between your, between your head? Hmm. How do you deal with just because I think it, is it true? Right. No. And so we now know this. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I, I, I built these businesses. I built our house. Um, it's our dream house. Um, at intimacy, sexual with my wife is 11 out of 10. Um, I'm doing Dr. Joe's meditations an hour and a half a day. Um, I don't even realize it, but I'm getting caught in five dimensional rather than 3D. Um, I, I'm doing, dude, I, I'm into it. I'm doing uh, floats. I'm doing, I mean, you name it, I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm on, I'm on a trip into Florida. I'm at, I'm at with, I have all my entire sales staff. I take them on a trip every year for my brick business. And so we're, we're in Florida. My wife is uh, in Legoland in Florida, but three hours away with our, with my eight-year-old. He's seven at the time. My, my young guys with my mom, I have nothing to worry about for the first time since I got sober. I'll have 15 years at the end of this month sober um, through the grace of God. Congrats on that. That's amazing. Yeah. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. And that's no drink, no drug, no weekend trips, no slips, no nothing. And so I, nobody needed me. Hmm. And so I get a ton of value out of being needed. And so all of a sudden I'm sitting there. And so my wife and I had some of these really, really deep, deep in-depth conversations about goals, where we want to be, about sexual fantasies, about what we, what we, what, what the meaning to life is. And all of a sudden late May, early June. Now, mind you, my wife's coaching business is taking off. She's going, she's doing multiple six figures. I've always been the breadwinner. Like I've always just, you know, my business, I was a, I was a millionaire at, I want to say like 25. Wow. Um, I, I started my own company because nobody would hire me. No joke. Like no, yeah. literally no joke. Like I went to the local guys that were doing this brick stuff and, and I didn't even get into that story, but, um, well, we will, we're going to get to that. I wanted to, I wanted to get this breakdown. Then I want to go back to the beginnings of Brickworks and, uh, yeah. um, you know, the solar company and everything else, but I'm curious about this breakdown. And so I was there. And so about two, two times in two week period, maybe three times I'm laying there and, and, uh, I got into this thing called sex magic. And it's manifestation through orgasmic, um, through orgasms. And so I, part of my nervous system reactions to the world is I don't do, I don't half ass anything ever. Like I'm my, so some people's trauma response is to be procrastinating and to get froze and stuck. Mine's like, Oh, I don't feel go. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm all or nothing. And so I go all in to everything both feet. And I'm like, I'll burn the bridges behind me because there were boats anyways. And I was actually levitating. So it didn't matter. And I'm sitting there having these conversations and my body starts having a response. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And I get cold and I start shaking and then my lips start twitching. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is weird. Now, mind you, I've never, ever, I could tell you how I felt here, but I've never actually felt. Yeah. And so if you've ever done Dr. Joe's work, he's got these meditations. His signature meditation is called the blessing of the energy centers. This is Dr. So we, Joe Dispenza, correct? Dr. Joe Dispenza, correct. Yep. Got it. And so I'm a huge student of his. That's what this tattoo is about. It's the IRA. And so it's stimulating the penile gland, doing the, you know, the breath work. I pop blood vessels and, and I'm big into the, right? 
And so I'm like, what's going on here? I don't understand. I started twitching and doing these things. So for the first time now, in hindsight, my soul was telling my ego, I'm done with you. You're Hmm. no longer going to live the way that you're living. Now, mind you, I'm making a million dollars a year. Right. Uh, I, I, I drive a Lamborghini. I have horizontal income. Like what else is missing? My wife and I are sending each other nude pictures every day. Like what, what else could I ask for? I know. Right. Like I'm, I've arrived the apex and all of a sudden my body says, I don't think so, bro. And I used to say, fuck you, bitch. I'm not, you know, it's this crazy stuff. Now I'm a little bit more calm on myself. And I say, no, you're no longer going to live this way. So I kept pursuing it and I kept having these things. I get to Florida and I'm listening to a podcast by Aubrey Marcus mm. and I'm laying on the beach and I start, I start shaking and I start, I, for the first time in my life had a, now I know it was a panic attack and I'm laying there and all of a sudden the, the thought and connection of somebody needing me wasn't there. Hmm. And I said, oh my God, what am I? Who am I? And as I'm saying this right now, the fans in the furnace just went off in this room and it's completely silent. Like no joke. Yeah. I got and, and, so, and so I'm like, is this it? I'm already a dad. I'm on the local news all the time for nonprofits. They ask me to speak on stage in front of thousands of people. Like, I'm that guy. And I can't stand to be in my own skin. But I can't figure out what it is. My business is, our purpose is building success. I'm like, how and what? And so I, I did whatever, you know, I, I, did, I, I did what every man does. I called my mom. And I said, mom, what happened to me? She's like, son, what are you talking about? I said, mom, I said, do you remember when I was molested? And she's like, son, where is this coming from? And I'm like, Nick around the corner molested me and you knew about it, mom. What else happened to me? And so I'm in Florida freaking out, crying on the beach. I got six grown men with me. They're like, I'm the epicenter of their life. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the visionary of the company that they all work for. Right. But these guys have been with me for 10 plus years and they're like, bro, we don't know what's going on, but we're scared. Yeah. And so um, I called my wife next and I said, she already knew kind of what was going on. And I said, babe, I'm freaking out. She's like, well, I'm at an amusement park with Ryder and I don't know how to help you. And so I, I, I went online. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with me. I literally don't know what's going on with me. I'm freaking out. My heart's going like this. It's all tense. I feel like I'm maybe having a heart attack. I'm trying to like, I start uh, placebo affecting, like, like envisioning my left arm going bad. I'm going into a stroke. Yep. And start freaking out. And, and my, my guys are like, you want me to take you to the hospital? What's going on? And I, I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't meditate. I couldn't do anything. I was fucking I was stuck. And so then I called, um, I, I emailed a bunch of people, a bunch of therapists, and nobody would get back to me. And I called um, the, the president of a, of, a, of a health organization through the nonprofit I'm involved with. And they gave me three phone numbers and nobody would answer them. Hmm. And I have all the resources in the world. Right. For, realistic right um and i'm like shit what do i do and so i believed in mastermind i've been in mastermind since 2017 2018 and i met uh stefanos and and so i called mallory my wife and i said i said do you think steph can help me and she goes i don't know call him and so he's a very popular guy and so 
Luckily, I had his cell phone number and I called him and I told him what was going on. And he goes, just like this, brother, I got you. It's okay. And for some reason, I believed him. And he told me how my nervous system had kept me safe for my entire life up to this point. And I, and I, and, and my nervous system was finally saying, you're free. And so now I'm going back and reliving all of those traumatic moments when I was at the store and I was a kid and I turned around and my mom was gone. And I went to the end of the aisle and looked around and she was gone and I didn't know where she was and I felt abandoned. And so now I'm going back and reliving these things. So he goes, brother, what's going on is your body is now saying that it, you, you don't have to live this way anymore. So what it's doing is it's trying to hold on to any story that you've given it and you're no longer accepting the fact of true or false and you're finally present. Congratulations. We got a lot of work to do. And so that was my journey over the last year. And that's where the start of it came, where it says, now I can actually go back and see, because now, now when I'm in, up against something, I can stop and check in with my body and be like, how does that actually feel? And before I was like, dude, that's some lame shit, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're fucking, you're weak, dude. Like, what do you mean? Like, depression? Mental health? Bro. You got a goal, go get it. If not, you're weak. Like you're fat, go get skinny. And there was no empathy and compassion. So now going back and looking, Jamie, I'm like, I was never given the empathy and compassion when I needed it. So now it feels unsafe to go back and give it to myself. Hmm. I was in lack of an empathetic witness when I was going through those things. My mom and dad, not their fault, would tell me to shut up. Stop bothering me. And so now I have to go back and relive it. Now I have to go back and reparent myself into a happy childhood. And that's the inner shadow work that I love actually more than business to go in and work with other, other men and, and couples. I, I work with men and women mm-hmm. and get them to go back and relive and re-experience these things to provide themselves a sense, sense of safety. Is this also a place? It's, it's interesting to me. You said, uh, I go all in. Well, no, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll keep, keep off on that for a second. But going back to the point you made earlier about your, you know, Sunday school or, or church, right? Checking boxes, the external validation, right? As long as all these people like me, then I'm good. Was this a moment where you had to, where you pivoted in this, you know, this time when you were going through this breakdown and you got on the phone with Stephanos? It sounds to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, but did you also pivot from the need for external validation to finally being validated by yourself? Oh, God, brother, I'm still working on that. <laughs> yeah, well, talk to me about that because I struggle with that too. So we live in a culture that doesn't reward you for knowing who you are. We live in a culture that's like, oh, you have a private jet. That means you. That means you're important. Yeah. But when you look at it, the most important people in this world are the people that are making the biggest impact, and the people that make the biggest impact are the ones that are usually the quietest. And so I always, dude, I can't, and I've done it, man. I've gone on, on, on silent, silent days and, and I've, I've hired emotional intelligence. I, I worked with an emotional intelligence coach for almost two years before any of this took place because the way I reacted, I, I, I time travel. So I'll be fine and working. And then, and then, so like I, I, I work with clients on this when it's like all of a sudden I'm fine and all of a sudden I snap. And what you're actually doing is teleporting and time traveling 
energetically back to that place where you didn't have control. When I was at the store with my mom and she went away and I was four years old, three years old, six, doesn't matter. I actually didn't have a choice. I was actually out of control and I was powerless. There's nothing I could do. I created the meaning that I wasn't important enough to my mom. There was four of us. She was chasing one of the other little bastards around. Like she didn't know. I'm the one that created that. So I'm the one that created the belief. Remember, when you're born, you only have two fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. That's it. Everything else is learned. Mm. So when we when we learn these, these things, we're the only ones that can go back in and unlearn them. So the incessant need of being somebody else or being accepted, it all comes down to acceptance, approval, uh, control, safety is the real connections of um, I'm seeking. If I buy 10 apartment buildings with you or if I invest money with you, you're going to accept me mm-hmm. and I'm tribal. If I pay X amount of dollars to be part of GoBundance, I now have a validation. I'm a GoBundance member. Right. And so this is all things that are captured in our DNA, how we are created. I always... And I can't trace it back to a point in therapy in EMDR therapy. I'm a huge advocate of EMDR. So it's, it's rapid eye movement, right? When you sleep, REM sleep is rapid eye movement. EMDR is eye, eye movement, decentralization, recovery, or something along those lines. And they, and they bring these pulses in. I have not been able to pinpoint when that started, where I thought that the kid down the street to me from me was happier than me. Hmm. When I thought that it, it would be easier in life to be somebody else, I can't pinpoint the exact time, but what I can pinpoint is the feeling. And then I literally, bro, I'm not kidding you to this day. I walk up to the mirror and, and, and this is stuff that was taught to me. It's these breathing exercises where I put one hand on my heart and one hand on my stomach underneath. Usually I go underneath like this yeah. and I hold it and I walk to the mirror and I looked in my left eye and I say, you're enough. I love you. I'm with you. I see you. And I have that connection because that pupil, that eye was the same eye in that little boy Hmm. when he told himself that he wasn't enough. So if I can't go back and give him the care and nurturing of that, what he needed, and that's why it's so important when I'm with my kid and I go back and I see you're blessed with the boy. I just Hmm. saw him come on camera. And, And when you look at him and you're able to be that dad that you did or didn't have, or doesn't matter. Now you get to be that. And I get to be, get on my kid's level and play with my kids. Again, I'm still four years old. I'm just in a 36-year-old body. Yeah. I get to go back and, and re-witness what I missed as a child, what I had too much of or didn't have enough. Either you get smothered or you get absentee. And it's one or the other. And, and so not judging myself, just being with it and saying, like, what does that little boy need? And the inner childhood work, bro, is... Well, you said it earlier, 36-year-old doesn't mean you weren't a 35-year-old or a 34-year-old or an eight-year-old. They're still all there, right? So you going back to heal that inner child makes a ton of sense. Let's let's dive into uh, your entrepreneurial journey. So you were a millionaire by 25, all the while struggling with addiction. You're in the brick business. So, you know, you have a pretty a, a large business here in Michigan, uh, uh, you know, the... Um, uh, the brick business, brick, brick works, property restoration. I was trying to come up with the name of it. Uh, how did that start? Why bricks? And then how did you start? Like you said, nobody would hire you, but how did you start a business in that, in that realm? <laughs> That's the best story ever. So I was, uh, it was after my third rehab. So third rehab, I got out, um, that guy, Howie was driving me to meetings, uh, 12 step meetings, huge advocate of 12 step meetings. Um, 
there and I, I the guy another dude that I went to high school with was younger than me he was at this this meeting I knew his parents were sober I didn't know if he was there if you had a problem um so my fourth rehab center I, I went in checked myself in checked myself out that next day um my fifth rehab is when I got sober this time so third rehab I ended up staying sh- sober a uh, day shy of eight months and I'm walking into a meeting and this kid was smoking a cigarette so I quit smoking cigarettes like 14 years ago and I was at the time living with my dad, rolling my own cigarettes. Wow. And I was drinking Red Bulls. And so I had like this, I had no money. Um, nobody could trust me with money. I would go get high with it. Um, so I had this like this weird pack of cigarettes and I was embarrassed again, carrying the shame and the guilt that I wasn't enough. Uh, and I had a $1 energy drink because my dad wouldn't buy me monsters. He would only buy me $1 ribbits is what they were called. And so he, this guy was standing there and he had a pack of Marlboro Reds which was my desired cigarette. And he had a Red Bull and he had like slacks and he looked kind of nice. He was a younger guy. And he goes, Hey, what's your name? And I'm like, Jeremiah. And he goes, he goes, my name's Kenny. You want a job? And it was by like my second or third day out of treatment. And I'm like, okay, sure, let's do it. And so we didn't end up working together for a couple of weeks. So I took a job with my neighbor and he was laying tile and he was an alcoholic that he was paying me $8 an hour. And he'd make me drive around with him for 12 hours in my truck uh, driving around in like, it was a truck that I borrowed actually. And I would drive around and he would pay me only the time I was on the job site. Well, we have to go get materials. I was making like 60 bucks a day. Yeah. This was, uh, 2007 and, uh, everything was crashing mm-hmm. and, and I was just grateful. And so Kenny comes and picks me up is his name. And he goes, he goes, uh, we're going to go canvas. And I said, well, what do I wear? And he goes, wear something nice. And so I went to a local community, St. Clair Shores, and I knocked on this guy's door and, and he went on that side of the street. And I went on this side of the street and we started knocking and he goes, tell them that their porch needs to be tuck pointed. And I said, sure. And so I knocked on the door and I go, sir, I can, I can tongue and groove your porch. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> And he goes, um, I don't think that's possible. Right. And so Kenny saw me talking to him. And so Kenny ran across the street and, and then he sold him a job for like $300. And we were like, tuck point his porch. And so I had no idea about it. And so he was really happy that I sold it or I got the customer out anyways. And so um, fast forward three, four days and I came home from work, working my neighbor and there was a hundred dollar bill on my dresser. And I said, what is this? And it was the hundred dollar commission. He paid me a third of the job. And I didn't even sell it. And I was like, from that point on, I was like, whoa, like, and that, what that, that's what got me. So after, so we, we, we worked together. It was like fall. This time I got sober in September. It was September 15th of 07 was when I got sober that. So then it became winter. I came really close with this guy. Um, and that's when I started Brickworks. It was two words with a Z. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we yeah, we ended up creating that springtime came around. We were at a 7-Eleven and he, I met him in sobriety and he smoked crack and I did heroin and he goes, you want to get high? And I knew at the depth of my soul, Jamie, I would never use again because my life got so much better so fast. Mm. And I said, yep, I sure do. Oof. And we drove to the drug house, the dope house, and he got crack and I got heroin and we relapsed together. Mm. And bro, the depth of my soul, I would never use again. When I got sober after year one and two, and then in rehab three, I had no car, no job, no nothing. I immediately got two cars back, six girlfriends, like the whole shot came back. Mm. And I was finally 
normal again. Mm-hmm. And the second admission wasn't made, once you get your life back together, you still can't handle drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that experience. I ended up relapsing, going to rehab four and five, got out of rehab. He went to jail. He did a year in jail. Um, he got out. We had the company together. We, we had like $200 worth of tools. Um, he got out. He went to go work for a competitor. I kept the business. Hmm. Um, started doing advertising. Um, I shut the business down, created, I didn't know what LLC was. Um, I, I was going to claim bankruptcy and my dad's neighbor. So I had a car when I was 18 years old. They repoed it. Um, after re- one of my rehabs, um, I had credit cards, cell phones, all that stuff that drug addicts and alcoholics do um, that mismanage money. Never again. My parents never, ever told me. All they told us was money doesn't grow on trees. We'll never have enough. Rich people are bad. And like all of those things. My, my parents are both union auto workers. And so that's all I knew about money. And so they didn't tell me like, hey, like you need to do this. So my mom always worked before she got a job at Chrysler. She always worked like three jobs. She owned a cleaning business. And so my dad would like give us money for, for clothes as growing up. My mom would, my mom would just say, nope. And she would take all our shit. You things like Goodwill and stuff. My mom would take us out, work three jobs to go take us to Abercrombie or Aeropostel or something to make us to build our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. So I always saw the dynamic of hiding money is money bad. So these are subconscious beliefs that I've had to work through with hypnotherapists around money and, and mindset type of coaches to, to expand, just like you, you're working with Jason now, right? Yeah. And yep. to expand, give him a plug there, like and give him and, like, <laughs> expand um, your, your, your awareness. And yeah. so I, I was going through all of this and I didn't know. And so getting out, I said, well, what do I do next? And so then I started advertising. I started advertising and, 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 and I started going around people while going back to college. Hmm. And so I was in college at the community college. And then I started realizing like, this could actually be something, bro. I was four years into my business. So I was 24 years old. It was, it was about a year before we got married. And my wife, Mallory, my girlfriend, she goes, how long are you going to do this? This brick stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I never planned on doing it. Right. And then it just became really lucrative. And then I learned like, don't rip people off. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't, don't do, don't sell something to somebody that'd be useless. And I started learning all of these things. And I'm like, wait a minute, all of these things are things that I was taught when I was in like kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like in, I'm getting this success. And I'm like, what if I actually applied myself to this? Like, where could I take this model? And so it was like 2007, 2008. I was just doing it part-time two or three days a week, but I was making a couple thousand dollars a week. And I'm like, wow, this, this is, this could actually amount to something. And then I hired my first, my first salesman. Hmm. Um, and, I, and then I hired, so how it goes is I was installing the jobs. I was selling the jobs, installing them myself. And then I went from hiring two employees part-time and I hired my brother and then I started leaving them at the job site going and bidding projects. And I'm like, well, I don't want to drive all the way back out there. So I bought a second truck. And then I put them in the second truck and then they were on their job sites. And I would just show up in the morning to go over the job site. And then I got to the point where I couldn't go do that. So then I brought another salesman in and I started continuing to grow the marketing. So at the time, everybody was out of business. People were going out of business because it was 08, 09, 2010, 2011, 12. I never had any overhead. I was working out of my mom's garage. Like there was no overhead there. And I bought my, I think we, we got our first shop in 2010. Um, and I think it was like $500 a month for the first shop. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. Yes. It's almost it's stupid not to at that point. 
And it was, it was, it was very silly not to. And then we ended up getting, um, I met a guy named John Binder and there was this circular that went around. It's called JB Dollar. It was a JB Dollar stretcher. I don't, I know you got it in Northville. Well, I wasn't there. No, I, yeah, I'm Brighton, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't remember this. No, I mean, I'm only here five years. Don't forget. I moved here from the East coast. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you definitely wouldn't have known it then because they went out of business. They went, they went digital and then they sold, I believe, the save on everything. And so I was at, at the peak. So I did all this. I never had any business training. So what I did was then I, I was, I didn't have an office staff until like 2011. So at this point, I bought my first house. And so I bought my first house on land contracts. I didn't have credit yet. And so I destroyed my credit. I didn't have credit. So I bought my first house on the contract in the neighbor, in the community Mallory and I grew up We paid 85 grand for it. I saved 25,000 um, to buy our first house. Well, immediately after that, I started playing Monopoly and I ended up buying like four or five houses over the next two or three years. Um, and so we paid cash for them. And then I was able to use the money that we were making from our business to reinvest into the houses and I completely rehab them during the winter. Hmm. And so I started building the, the real estate portfolio while we were building the company. So fast forward, I would get too busy. Well, I didn't have an office staff. I had a shop, but I didn't know. I didn't have anybody to mentor me. And I didn't understand the the what it would take. Because again, I'm just a, a kid that didn't feel that he was deserving of anything more than and I was already living in this abundance. I had no idea. Hmm. And then my my spiritual advisor, which was my sponsor, he passed away a year, about a year and a half ago. And he sponsored me for 17 years before I even got sober. His name was Jimmy. God bless him. And Jimmy bought, brought me into a mastermind. And it was a guy. So here in Southeast Michigan, there was a church called uh, Renaissance Unity. It was the Church of Life at 16. I'm sorry, at 696 in Hoover. And Jack Boland was the guy that started that church. Jack Boland's best friends was, was Wayne Dyer. Hmm. And so... A lot of people don't realize Wayne Dyer came up in an orphanage in Mount Clemens. My business started in Mount Clemens. Mm -hmm. And so he brought me into this mastermind journal to where I still teach it to our mastermind today, um, this mastermind journal. And it comes up with 10 different steps. And we were able to start using this mastermind. My sponsor, Jimmy, my spiritual advisor, was teaching me how to create the space to do this. And so I I started to build it up. Fast forward... I achieved everything I wanted to achieve um, through these businesses. I joined the RTA syndicate. So I was year one with Andy Fursella and Ed Milet. And I met a guy here in Southeast Michigan that handed me the book Traction. Oh, yeah. In 2018. Yeah. And so for the first time in my life, I was with equal individuals that were actually way above me or with me or below me. It didn't matter. And I was the first realization of Oh, okay. And people started asking me about my business. And I'm like, yeah, at the time our business did like 40% net profits. I was, I think we did like 2.75 million, man. I had it going on. Like it was good. Hmm. And I started talking to this guy, these, these guys in this group and they're like, okay, tell me what you do. Tell me how you do it. What's your, what's your organization chart? I'm like, what's that? And he's like, what do you mean you don't know what that is? And I'm like, well, how do you run your business? And, and I started explaining to him how I did it. And he goes, oh, cool. So you're a franchise. And I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're a franchise. You just don't collect any uh, royalties. And I'm like, I, for the first time in my life, I had no idea. I was running my business for 12 years, had no clue. <laughs> so then I sit down and start doing traction because the guy I'm with is a year younger than me. He's doing about 30 million a year. I'm doing three. Yeah. And, and he's younger than me. 
and he's in, uh, he's in, he's in a different industry. And I'm like, how did you do this? And so I, I started, I put my business through traction. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I reinvented my business in 2018. I had a max, my, my four partners, there were partners, franchise owners, they all left on the same day. And, and I had another company, the guy bought me out, uh, a concrete leveling company. And it was all on a rainy day in February of 2000. It was 2019 is when this happened. Oh, you've got, okay. I, we're, we're running up on, on it, but there's a, a question I want to ask you talk about masterminds that I want to ask about. I think what you just talked about, how, you know, this tra- how you implemented traction and everything changed. But let's first talk about masterminds because, you know, we're, we're, this is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast, right? So tell me about, you've been in a Arete Syndicate. I think you're EO as well. I'm EO. I've been in EO since 18, correct. Okay. And then you, of course, have GoBundance. Uh, give me a quick, like, compare, contrast, and then give me, you know, a little bit about what, what has been beneficial about being in GoBundance. Because you're now, you jumped up to the champion group as well. I think you came in at Elite and then you just said, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go up to champion. So give me a little bit about compare and contrast just briefly. And then, you know, what is it about GoBundance that you value or whatever? Absolutely love and adore GoBundance uh, 10 times over. So my first mastermind, so I've been, I was a part of Chris Harder's group as well for two years. That's where I met Mike Ayala. And that's how yeah. I actually found GoBundance was oh, through... Nice. Mike Ayala in a different mastermind. And so before, so Chris's group was great. It was for uh, when good people make good money, they do great things. It was a very coaching centric type of business where that's why I learned so much about masterminding. That's how we created our own. And so we do a couple's mastermind. And so on the other side of that is, is the first one I was part of, and it was very ego centric. And so Andy and Ed ran it, which they have the biggest podcast in the world, Um, very huge influencers, but I got to spend time with, there's 59 of us in the group. So I got to go to all their houses. I got to experience them. I got to watch them, how they interacted with Tim Grover. I got to watch them, how they treated Tom Bilyeu. I got to watch them, how they did it. And I'm like, wow, okay. All right. So so that was an experience. Um, It was definitely worth the investment. Go abundance. That is very ego driven. There's guys at top. Like we love our elders, Mm -hmm. but they're... They're, they're, yes, financially they're above us, but I can call them up and be like, Hey, can you help me with this? And they want to go into deep dives. They want to go into like, how can I serve you? Chris Ryan, our CEO called me to have a conversation with me about Detroit before he brings it. Like the authenticity in GoBundance, there's no fucking ego. Excuse me. I had to say it. Like there's no ego in GoBundance. Yeah. Like there's a couple of goofy guys. Like I got to call with uh, like, like, like Sterling, Sterling Griffin. I got to call with him this afternoon <laughs> about a deal. Right. And so like he was an, he's an influencer yeah. and there's awesome guys in there yeah. at that caliber. But most of the guys I was sitting next to, um, one of the big syndication guys, um, what the heck is his name? Andrew Cushman. Cushman. Sit next to him. And so yeah. you guys set up the beginning of your events to create um, some vulnerability. Yeah. And we had those questions and I'm sitting directly next to him. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the wealthiest guys in GoBundance. Yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. No clue. And I'm sitting there and he skips it. And he's talking about his relationships and taking ski trips and stuff. And I'm like, so it's absence of ego. And, and, and it's really the authenticity of people. Dude, the caliber of individuals the character of the individuals and go abundance. Like the other groups are great. They're very egocentric. This is the car I drive. This is how big my wiener is. Like here, it's like, how can I serve you? And like, what's really important? Like, how are you spending time with your kids? Yeah. Are you leaving the country to, to build a better life with your family? You don't know if you're leaving for one to two years. Like those are the conversations that we have in go abundance versus like the money's great. But we know the money's going to be there. Yeah. 
Yeah, but the money's the easy not, part, right? The money's yeah, the easy part, right? It, it to is. an extent. I don't I, I don't say that from ego. I say that like not like, oh money, I figured out. I mean, trust me, I still I'm building and learning. I have a question for you to end this uh, about uh you know you and in, in business and everything else. And it's sort of a I guess in some ways a money-centric question, but but the the point you made that that's always been refreshing to me is yeah, I just want to help is the mantra. Like, how can I help? Contribution, right? That's the mantra of a David Osborne all the way down to the guy at $1.011 million or whatever. Um, there's there's very little ego in it. So, and what I also love about what you said is I I, I talked to some people because uh, I'm in a few different masterminds. I'm actually thinking about joining another uh, a Genius Network, kind of a, a marketing mastermind. I love Genius Network, bro. Yeah, I've, I've heard amazing things. From, actually, from a GoBundance guy, Bob Castellini. He's uh, he's big in there. And Ben Hardy, Benjamin Hardy, who not how guy. He loves His new it. book? Have you listened yet? It's over oh. here. I I have it ready. And it's one the of the unread now. Ben Hardy's how I found you guys because he talked about it and personality isn't perfect about the one about a, a right. piece of paper. That's how I found you guys. That book is, I could see without even looking. It's right there. Yeah. I love personalities and permanent. It's one of my favorite underrated Ben Hardy books ever. Wow. Um, but anyway, the idea that you have to be in one or whatever, I don't have enough time. It's like, it ain't about that. It's about investing in your network and who you know, who you can call on in the moment that you need them. Because that one call is worth 10 grand or 50 grand or 100 grand or whatever it might be if you want to look first at it. first event that. was worth 204,000, by the way, because that's when I got an ERC at that point. What is ERC? Employee retention credit. So that gentleman came on stage in Lake Tahoe and yeah. I texted my, my, my admin at my office and I got a check seven months later after the Lake Tahoe. So that first event made me 204,000. No kid. I remember getting a hug from a guy saying that's a $260,000 hug because of something we talked about two, three months ago at the event prior. Nothing crazy, but for him, it was a, oh, I could leverage that in my business. And he had a $260,000 tax rebate as a result. <laughs> so it is incredible. This one conversation here or there. Let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious. You said I go in all both feet and I've been around you enough where you are absolutely all go. And I love that about you. I have that energy as well, which is why I want to ask this question. You've built a business, a signature, two of them, multiple significant businesses. And when you said earlier about installing traction and like the four people that went away and everything else, I wonder if this was maybe, you know, where I am now and where, where you were at the time and maybe you're on the other side of it. So the question is really, how do you keep that energy that go, 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 like you have, like you don't think you just move while not creating chaos in your organization or or going diverting from the core of whatever it is you're trying to do. Because I mean, man, I got ideas for days and energy around and that's like, oh my God, this is, this. there's no way this, can, this is the most brilliant thing. No way it can't work. But it's like, yeah, but yesterday we were, <laughs> we were over here. Now you sort of say it go this way. I mean, I guess we can. How do you keep on track with that kind of energy, your kind of energy, which is intense? So a brilliant question. For me, it's, it's we, we capture everything with rocks. So tomorrow I'll be in nine to five in a quarterly planning session for, for Brick. And then at the end of the month, we, we rolled EOS out. So guys like in service-based industries using an EOS model or a, a model so I'm looking at the house where, where Floyd Wickman lived. It's, that's a whole other story for a different time. It was my neighbor. Um, <laughs> like no joke. And so here's the thing. We can get distracted with shiny object syndrome every single day. All the time. And so my team keeps me out. I sit in the visionary seat of both of my businesses. So my job, I've created over 15 years. That's my job. They need me to bring the energy. My, my, my main job is to steer culture. And 
to implement new ideas. And then when they're stuck to give them some kind of clarity around them, they're used to me. So raise your, you know, you want a better quality life, raise your standards. We, we, we actually teach people how to treat me and how I'm allowed to be accessed for smaller problems. So to keep focused, I have rocks for that quarter. So my EOS implementer created a PFM, personal family management as well, to where you can implement that. And I have the resources for, for, our, for anybody that would want them to where they can go and, and, and implement into that in their personal life as well. But I have rocks. I know what I have to be clear and definite of. Mm. I have over 4,000 notes in my, in my phone, notes just nonstop of things that I can go back to when they need to go back to, because I get a lot of internal gratification of starting something and following it through and not just starting it and then just pushing it out there. Mm. Makes sense. I might have to see that Wednesday, if you don't mind, the, the, the PFM. I'd love yeah. to see that. All right, let's wrap with a question with the Go this card game. What are some things that are okay to do occasionally, but not definitely okay to do every day or but definitely not okay to do every day? That's a great question. Um, so I don't drink or drug. So that, I mean, that's what a lot of people might, might say to do. Yep. But it's waking up in the morning and not having an agenda. Hmm. And so allowing yourself to wake up and not have, so the, I'm always, I, my whole life I've been victim to once I get there, then I'll be, hmm. once I get that, then I'll have. And it's, so it's, 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 there's a guy that I worked with as a mentor, um, Jim Fortin. And he said, Everybody in life is, is if I have this, then I'll do this. Then I'll finally be happy. Has mm-hmm. do be. And he goes, no, it's be this, do this, have that. So instead of have to be, it's be do have. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing the space in order for me to create a life that I've never imagined. I have to create space for those things to come into my life. I love that. And so it's creating the space. So I time block. And I know I have time for, for to do work. I have time to work on my business. And then I have to have time for me. There'll never be another time in reality ever. Now, if you're in the metaverse and you're, diff- you're you know, picturing different things, and uh, I'm talking about um, in this 3D world, that my children will be their age that they are on this day. When I leave here and finish my calls and go see them at karate, they'll never have this day. What is today? Um, July 11th. Yeah. My kids will never be this age at July 11th ever again. And that's, mm-hmm. and I have to be there with both my feet present at that time. Dude, strong ending. I like it. Bring in the heat, man. I appreciate you so much, man. Where can people reach out, learn more, learn about your business? Where do you want to direct folks? The, the closest place is Instagram or Facebook. So Instagram, I'm at Jeremiah underscore Campbell is, is I'm in my DMs probably three, four times a day. Um, so yeah, reach me there. Um, you can reach me Facebook, whatever's best for you guys, LinkedIn and all. Amazing. Brother, I appreciate you. See you in a couple of days. Absolutely. Uh, bro. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach and give as much value as we can to you on a week to week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to five million dollar range or our champion division at five million plus or on the women's side. GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, 
Jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 